Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Amen. Isn't it great to have Justin Yates with us, leading us in worship today again? Thank you so much, brother. We're so, we're so grateful, you know, this, this community um, has been marked by your, your ministry and your presence. And so thank you so much for, for being back with us. It's so good to see all of you today, this morning. I'm really happy to be able to, uh, to just share a word from Scripture, together with you all today, if, you, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Socrates, and, um, and I'm just really happy for this community, for this family that we call Horizon West Church. And if you're here for the first time, we're really glad that you're here. Thank you so much for choosing to spend some time with us on a Sunday morning. We're glad that you're here. We've been um, in the middle of this series. This is week four of our series about relationships. It's a relationship series, and it's called Hold Us Together. And throughout the series, we've been talking about different ways that we relate to other people. Last week, Pastor Chris brought a great message about singleness and the gifts of, single, of singleness, but also the struggles that come along with it. And I was, um, I was blessed by that message um, because I think in relationships, it's something that we don't often talk about. So if you, if you haven't heard that, check it out on our website. Um, you'd be able to, to check that out there. But next week, we're talking about parenting, and the week after that, it's marriage and dating. Um, but today, I'm excited to just be able to share with you kind of a family talk. We're going to have a family talk together, and we're talking about relationships among believers, relationships that we have among one another as a body of Christ, which is what the Bible calls us. Many of us um, who are here would profess to be Christians, right? People who have trusted in the saving love of Jesus Christ, and they've committed to following him. And if that's you, the Bible says that you are a part of the family of God, the family of God. And I think it's really profound that Jesus made that characteristic, the way that we relate to one another, the defining character of a mark of who we are as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. It says in John 13, 35, it says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By what? If you have love for one another. And in the New Living Translation, it says it a little bit differently. It says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another is proof. So I think, I think it's important that we dwell on this a little bit. How do we relate to one another as Christ followers, as a body of Christ? And so in other words, what Jesus is saying here, if you don't truly love one another, you're simply not testifying about me. And to me, that's a sobering thought, right? To know that when we succumb to division and we fail to love one another, we're literally misrepresenting Jesus to the world. And we're, we're lending evidence to the famous saying of Mahatma Gandhi where he said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. So we want to set a better example to the world, right, by the way that we show love to one another. That's what Jesus said. 
And so today's message, like I said, it primarily deals with, with relationships among believers, amongst Christ followers. But if there's, is there any connection to be drawn with what this passage says about our relationships among each other and how it speaks to relationships in the world at large? I definitely think that there is. And so if you're listening today and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Christ— First, I'm so glad that you're here. We're grateful that you have come and spent some time with us, and we hope that you can find a home here and a family to belong to. Um, but if you're, if you're not a follower of Christ, I think that there's some principles that you can pick up here about how to help you in your relationships. If you do proclaim to follow Christ, I think that the mentality of submitting your self-interest to the interest of others, which is what we're going to look at today, it's not only going to apply in your relationships with other believers, but also with those who don't profess Christ. Again, being a great witness to the world. And so we're going to look at two passages of Scripture side by side. They're from two different letters that Paul wrote to different churches during his time in ministry. And um, this, this, this passage that we're about to read, the first one, is really going to help drive kind of the flow of, of our time together today. But it's from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, and we're just going to dive right into it. On the screen here, or if you have your Bible, it says this in Philippians 2, verse 1. If then there is any comfort in Christ, any consolation from love, any partnership in the Spirit, any tender affection and sympathy, then make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. These verses, they illuminate some ideas that we're going to look through together today to figure out how we can relate well with one another as a body of Christ. And they guide us in, in just showing us our goal, the barrier to that goal, and our breakthrough to get to that goal. And the goal is unity. That's what we're going to start with. Our goal is unity. And verses 1 and 2, again, they say, if there's any comfort in Christ, any consolation from love, any partnership in the Spirit, any tender affection and sympathy, he's, he's appealing to their shared interests as Christ followers. If you have any of these things, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And so, the deepest things that they share as Christ followers, as people who follow Jesus, he's making an appeal on that basis. He said, if you are comforted by the love and the care of God that he's shown to you, if you have any sharing in that, if you have any sharing in the receiving of the gift of the Holy Spirit that enables you to bear good fruit and to exercise good gifts, if that's you, because we have such powerful common bonds, our goal should be unity. Make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same heart. And so I want to I back up just a little bit because just to give us some background here as to the audience and who Paul is talking to, and we're going to see 
his message to another church in another letter with a similar message. But just to give some backstory here, Paul was a missionary who spread the gospel. A lot of you might know that. Um, And he was also a church planter who began communities of faith like ours here at Horizon West. And we've got a map up on the screen, actually. It just shows about how he would would often go to these different regions that you're seeing up on this map here. Um, I drew that myself, so kudos to me. No. Um, I know I'm a bad artist, but I'm not that bad. I'm just kidding. Um, There's a map up there, and it talks about, you know, we write, we often write to people, he would write to people in those communities uh, to encourage them and to see how they're doing. And he would also sometimes correct them when they got off course. And so the church at Philippi, it was, it was the church that actually began Paul's mission in northern Greece. You see that up there? That's northern Greece, um, modern day. And it was one of his early ministries to a mostly non-Jewish community. So you can imagine that was meaningful to him. Um, he it had a special place in his heart. It was also a healthy church that didn't present Paul with a whole lot of issues. And so he was fond of them. And this letter is... is primarily full of joy and of affection, okay? So, so you think this is the church that he's like, man, you guys are awesome. You can just see him smiling as he writes. Make my joy complete, guys. Just go the distance and have the same mind and the same heart. Well, on the other hand, you have a church at Corinth, and we're going to see Corinth up there. There's Corinth down at the bottom of that peninsula, and you see this is, this is uh, the Acropolis up at the top there. And there is a temple of Apollo. It's beautiful, beautiful imagery of, of Corinth. and just gives you a little bit of a picture, but, but it didn't really reflect what was going on inside of Corinth. Um, and that church there, N.T. Wright, who's a theologian, he says that if there was any one church that caused Paul to pull his hair out and made him age before his time, it was probably the church of God in Corinth. And he noted that the problems that were there were most likely influenced by the competitive culture of rivalry and personality politics that was nasty but normal in Corinth. Competitive culture of rivalry and personality politics. Reminds me a little bit of our culture sometimes, right? And, and what, what God sends us into. And so you have these two different letters to very different audiences, but a common emphasis and an appeal for unity, as we're going to see as we get into the Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthians. So we're going to look at those two side by side. In the letter to the Philippians, Paul says it really concisely. Make my joy complete. Be of the same heart and mind and love. And in his letter to the Corinthians, he has the same message, but I can imagine him, he's like, man, these Corinthians are a problem. Am I going to have to spell this out for them? God, am I going to have to literally write a word picture and paint this for them so they can see clearly beyond the shadow of a doubt what I'm calling them to do? And I, I, I imagine Paul having a conversation with God and God saying, yep, that's what, that's what you got to do. And so Paul says, okay. And he paints a picture of words that portrays the church as a human body, a human body. And so this, this next part of the scripture is from the message translation. It's known to be a little less of a literal translation of Paul's words, but it gives us a feel in our modern language of how his message would have landed among the Corinthians. So it says in verses 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 13, you can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. 
By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots. But then we entered into a large and integrated family in which he has the final say in everything. In everything. So the goal again is unity. It's a common goal that he, that he calls for the Philippians and the Corinthians. But as we get further into this passage with the Corinthians, we're going to identify three markers of unity that Paul highlights. And these markers of unity, they also expose the sinful tendency that we have to create a barrier to unity. So the barrier to our goal of unity. So we have our, our goal is unity. Our barrier is self-centered living. Self-centered living. We saw it in the Philippians passage, and we're going to see it again here. At the root of the things that keeps us from unity. In Philippians, Paul warns against selfish ambition or empty conceit. So we read that earlier, right? And being in pursuit of your own interests, self-interest. In other words, he calls out being so absorbed by concern for your own welfare, your own success, your interests, that you hinder your ability to truly love others. When you put yourself at the center, you become ignorant of others. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more, because in 1 Corinthians, Paul continues his work by painting the picture for us as well, um, as the church as a body, in a way that shows what unity looks like. But it also exposes how self-centeredness becomes a barrier and can destroy that unity. So let's look at these three markers of unity that Paul points to, along with three barriers to the unity that we, we find at the root of self-centeredness. Verses 14 to 20, continuing in that passage in 1 Corinthians, it says this. It says, Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many members. If the foot would say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. Can you just hear it in Paul's words, him just writing this out, just saying, I, I, I got to say this forwards and backwards, that I can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The, no, he, he says it forwards and backwards, right? We are diverse, but one. Here, Paul shows us the first marker of unity as he paints this word picture, that we live a life marked by unity when we embrace the God-given worth and uniqueness of each person. We embrace the God-given worth and uniqueness of each person. You notice that Paul doesn't say that each part of the body is identical. That would be uniformity. But he actually goes out of his way, out of his way to say that we aren't all eyes, that we aren't all ears. We're not one big eye, one big ear. Each part has a God-given function and perspective and goodness that we are to value and to cherish. And we identify ourselves that way here at Horizon West Church. We, we call ourselves a diverse community of good friends, together doing good works, sharing the good news of Christ. A few weeks ago, Pastor Chris, when he started this message, he talked about the importance of affirming the image of God in every person. And in his notes, which I kind of took as a cheat sheet, 
He said, regardless of ethnicity, nationality, language, lifestyle choices, political affiliations, etc., all people are connected as divine image bearers. This is the starting point for healthy relationships. And so if the first marker of unity is to embrace the God-given worth and uniqueness of each person, then how does self-centeredness create a barrier to that unity? When we live self-centered lives, our first barrier is that we invalidate the image of God in others. We invalidate the image of God in others. Rather than embracing and valuing one another, self-absorption leads us to invalidate the image of God in others. We're tempted to depersonalize or dehumanize one another because of our differences. And I think it's kind of funny because we do this for the most minute things, right, and kind of silly things, but there's, there's a kernel of truth in, in almost, you know, in every joke. And, um, and I think about, just as I was writing this down, I thought about this encounter, this conversation I had with my friends, they're worship leaders in California, and we're talking, and, and you know, this is what worship leaders talk about. They talk about clothes, right? And so, so uh, particularly skinny jeans, because my, my friend, we'll call him Jay, he was like, how do you put your clothes on? Like, do you do, you do, do, you do pants first and then socks? Or do you do socks first, and then you kind of got to get your, you know, pants over it? How do you do? I, I do it that way because my jeans, you know, they're, they're, if my worship leader friends in the house, they know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, I gradually, as I've gotten older, they've gotten less and less skinny. You know, I don't know if that's correlated for any reason. But he said socks and then pants. And then my other friend T, we'll call her T, she says, no, 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 it's, it's pants. And then you put your socks on. And that's how you do it. I think your way is a little bit not natural. And then a third person steps in the conversation and they go, I think, you know, I, I like to do sock, pant leg, sock, pant leg. And Jay just goes, you're a monster. You're a monster. You're crazy. What is, he literally called him a monster, a non-human being. It's silly. It's funny. But, you know, there's a kernel of truth in the, in the fact that when we see people do things differently than we do them, we think, what is with that person, right? Um, another friend, I, I remember just in the last couple of weeks on Instagram, she's been married with her husband for four years, and she was like, y'all, I've been putting deodorant on the same way for four years, and my husband just noticed that because I'm right-handed, I put deodorant over here, and then I use my right hand and put it over here. And he looks at her with the craziest look like, what are you talking about? Nobody does that. Hand switch, hand, right? And she, she puts the video out on Instagram, and soon she finds out, yeah, nobody does it like that. Like, like I don't know, does anybody do it like that? I don't want to offend anybody. But, you know, it's just, it's funny. We, we kind of like, we tend to depersonalize people because of the differences that we have in the way that we think, the way that we do things, the way that God wired us. The truth is that there are real cultural differences, skin color differences, Differences in manners and behavior, a certain political candidate that we vote for. How often do we make judgments on one another and close ourselves off from having a meaningful relationship with the other person? Because we create that barrier. And we do this among believers. We tend to try to be the judge as to whether they belong in the family of Christ even. Before we're quick to judge others, let's remember that Jesus, he called for us to deal with what he called the log in our own eye before we point out the speck in the eye of our brother or sister. And so today, before we apply this message to someone other than ourselves, and trust me, 
Uh, this brought me to do so much soul-searching and confession as I looked through these barriers to unity that I often put up. Instead of trying to point out flaws of other believers, we're actually going to do a little self-assessment. And we're going to see if we don't discover how our attitudes and behaviors of self-centeredness might play a role in the division that we experience among believers. All right, so I'm going to ask them to put a question on the screen. This is self-assessment question number one. I want you to do some real soul-searching here. As you read this, it says, When a believer expresses an opinion I disagree with, do I, A, quickly counter with an argument without fully considering their thought? Do I, B, write them off as incompetent or as an unfaithful person who couldn't possibly love or follow God? Or C, do I view them as a member of the body of Christ, a part of the family to which I belong? What's our tendency? What do we normally go towards, and what's our reaction when we're faced with that scenario? Um, you know, these are—it's it's great. These are rhetorical questions, but the funny part is that in the first service, my, my daughter and my son, they couldn't wait to answer C. They couldn't wait to answer C on all these questions. So if you, if you feel like, you know, if you feel like responding, that's totally okay. But ponder them in your heart as well. Um, as believers, we can disagree with one another— about many other issues without devaluing one another. I think that that's possible. The thing that binds us together is the fact that God reconciled us when we trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what binds us together. And difference, you know, is a part of the intentional plan of God and his design for his family. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 18 and 19, it says, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And so it was his idea to bring unique gifts and personalities and even perspectives that we can all benefit from. And this leads us to the second marker of unity. If it was God's idea for us to be united even in our diversity, then unity means that we live with believers in mutual dependence and submission. Mutual dependence and submission. Sometimes it's easy to say, yeah, you can come here, you can be here, but how, how well do we do at depending on and submitting to one another as the body of Christ? Verses 21 to 25, it says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we give think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members, they do not need this. But God has arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. It's hugely important that we recognize that we need each other. We need each other. We need the various gifts and the wiring that God has placed in each one of us. And I think specifically about this church family. I think of Horizon West Church. I see family, friends and, and family of God. I see people out there that, that I depend on, that have, I've learned much from, and I've come into contact with in ministry as we walk together, and I've seen the, the need that we have for one another. We all know and depend on... Um, the unique gifts of Pastor Chris, right, to, 
to teach and to help lead us as a church. But there's also Matt Krause. Matt helps direct the band, and, um, and he helps the music sound excellent and effective at leading us into God's presence. I think of Jeremy Gates. He's back in the, in the lighting booth. He brings a ton of skill and experience in his workplace to Horizon West that God has given him to light up this auditorium and the stage beautifully. I think of Greg and Deb and Keith and Rhonda and tons of others, greeters and connectors and seeders and parking team members that bring a gift of hospitality to this place that we depend on. And, and a side note on that, I even look out, I see, I see Aileen over there. Aileen helps me to schedule all those people every single week. It's, it's amazing. We need it. Um, Edwin and Heather Botero, they have a passion and a gift for getting through to the next generation with the love of Jesus. They lead our students' ministry. And then I was talking with, with Marcy earlier this week, and she highlighted, she reminded me of Joe and Liz. Joe and Liz, they were foster parents and are adoptive parents. And because of their experience and their passion and their giftedness for helping people to find families, they now faithfully run our wraparound support for other foster families in our community. They help us run that ministry that comes around to support families who are fostering. We depend on the unique gift of compassion that Joe and Liz possess. And so if we lack any of these characteristics, we can learn from them with a spirit of humility and submission to the fact that we don't have it all together on our own. Some of these gifts and the functions that they fulfill, they might not be as showcased out front. You might not see them. You might not ever meet some of these people that I mentioned. And they might not get the accolades as, as some others do. But verse 22 reminds us that the members of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. The members of the body that maybe the world would deem as like, oh, they're not, they're not a celebrity. They're indispensable. And so in contrast, self-centered living, which is our barrier, it causes us to dismiss the value that others contribute. That's barrier number two. Dismiss the value that others contribute. So rather than living in mutuality, we dismiss the value of others. And self-assessment question number two, it says this. It says, when another person offers an alternate solution or idea, do I, A, not listen because I know my way is better and works for me, B, become skeptical of the person because it just seems wrong. And besides, it's not the way we've always done it. Or C, do I give my sibling in Christ the benefit of the doubt and carefully consider what they have to say? The fact is that God has put other believers in our lives for a reason. We need one another. Stubbornness is when we assume that another believer is wrong simply because they don't think like us. And there isn't room for that in the body of Christ. Superiority is another thing there's no room for in the body of Christ. It says, you are beneath me, so you matter less. And, and it dismisses the contribution of a brother or sister because we think they're beneath us. It's important to know that there's absolutely no room, no room for social or racial superiority in the body of Christ. There's no room for either. It's important to note here that unity against superiority Based on the scripture, it's made possible by the action of God because what it says is he gave honor to the inferior member. And so he tore down any trace of superiority, any trace of superiority that we would set up so that the members of the body may have the same care for one another. And this leads us to the third marker of unity. The third marker of unity is that we practice solidarity 
standing with others in their joy and pain. And in those verses, some of the ones that we just read, but um, if you skip ahead from what you'll see up there to verse 26, it says, or verse 25 says, the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. So we're strengthened by our diversity when we care for one another. But in contrast, if we put up a barrier of self-centered living, we actually show indifference to the suffering of others. We show indifference to the suffering of others rather than practicing solidarity. And so self-assessment question number three, it says this, when another member of the church body has a need or experiences suffering, I can tell this is going to hurt. A, do I see them as an obstacle in the way of meeting my own needs? B, do I consider them, their need, a disruption of my peace and of my orderly way of life? I need to read that again for myself. Sometimes I feel it. And C, do I feel compelled to engage and to be present because we belong to the same body of Christ? We belong to the same body. When we live self-centered lives, a lot of times we get tunnel vision, right? And we don't allow ourselves to see and to sit with what other believers, other brothers and sisters are going through. We don't see their pain anymore because we're living such self-absorbed lives. But we're called to acknowledge and be present with our brothers and sisters in pain. Now, this relates to individual pain, you know, and an alternative to, to ignoring someone's pain and dismissing it is walking with people who are going through the grief of losing a loved one, right? Or being there for people and showing genuine concern for those who are physically ill. That's a way that we can, we can dispel this barrier. But it also relates to pain in groups of people, right? We get the individual pain, but even groups of people. And, and I immediately thought of, of you know, back in, uh, in 2021, when racially charged violence against Asian Americans took place, there was an incident in Atlanta. And then the next year, in Orange County, there was another incident. Um, there were close friends of mine who expressed deep sadness and genuine fear that the violence that they saw on the news, that they, that they saw was caused by racially charged hate, could reach them and their parents because of the prejudice that drove these actions. Literally posting video on, on Instagram saying, man, I'm just, I just want y'all to know I'm concerned for my folks when they walk out the door today because it was going around. When George Floyd, when he was tragically killed in 2020, dear brothers and sisters of mine, friends of mine in the family of God expressed deep sadness and genuine fear that the violence could reach, I'm sorry, they, they expressed uh, grief and anger because to them, the injustice was being exposed and it was representative of the racism that they had personally experienced in their own lives. They expressed that grief and anger. In those moments, God calls us to lean into solidarity, not to dismiss that pain. Lean into solidarity with the members of Christ who are going through suffering. Let's not make the mistake of responding with indifference and an unwillingness to engage with our brothers and sisters. Let's not put up a wall of defense invalidating their emotions and debating them in the moment of their pain. It is possible to empathetically acknowledge the pain of another without being able to fully understand it. It is possible to empathize with another brother and sister in Christ without being able to fully understand the whole issue of what's going on, just to know, you are my brother, you're my sister. 
So let's show concern. Let's genuinely listen. And let's be willing to be impacted by their perspective. So in these letters, we've seen our goal, which is unity. We've seen our barrier to that unity, which is self-centeredness and self-centered living. And then finally, thankfully, Jesus exemplifies our breakthrough, our breakthrough with his life. And in Philippians, we're going back to that letter where Paul wraps this, this topic up of unity. And he says, this is what you need to do to break through. It's self-emptied living. And he says in Philippians 2, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our breakthrough is a self-emptied living that Jesus modeled in love for you and for me. And our call as Christ followers is to imitate Jesus, right? He said, have the same attitude. They give the ultimate, these verses give the ultimate example of a self-emptied life in him. He modeled how we are to live in relationship with one another. How? Not by clinging to what was rightly his to claim. It said, though he was God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. But by emptying himself of the privilege of God and suffering as a human being, he demonstrated his great love for us in this. And the breakthrough is, is this. It's that Jesus, he literally turned our misconception about how to succeed in life upside down on its head. Upside down. Our world values of self-promotion, are, it's, it's the key to success in our world, right? But Jesus said, no, we're going to move from self-centeredness, self-promotion, self-preservation to self-emptying. From being people who are others ignorant to being people who are others centered. This is so against our sinful nature and frankly, the tendencies that we experience in American culture is we want to win and secure victory, right? We want to make sure that we get the good things that we deserve, that we work for. We want to cling to everything we've earned but Paul reminds us here that Jesus showed us another way. And I love how there's, there's a commentary that, on this passage by Morin Sprankle that, that they, they give us this image of this ladder. The example of Jesus climbing down the ladder of privilege. Noting that Paul isn't saying necessarily that to follow Jesus means you've got to completely sell all your goods, quit your job, join the lowest ranks of society, deny all the things that, that, are, that are God's gifts that he's given to you, or deny yourself and who you are. Paul himself, he made use of his Roman citizenship, right? So he's saying that emptying yourself doesn't mean denying who you are as a person. Rather, it's a thoughtful climb down intentional steps and stages of humility. So this ladder is an illustration that shows how God calls us to embrace humility step by step. From the top rung, where we're hoarding our privilege in self-centered living. We're just saying, what's mine is mine. This is all I get, and I don't have any to give. Taking a step down to stewardship. Stewardship is receiving God's gifts and being grateful for them, yet holding loosely to the privileges that God has given us, knowing that at any moment he might call us to sacrifice. And that's the next step. A finally, finally another step down to service of others that is willing to be sacrificial of our own interests. These are the stages and the steps that God is calling us to in growth that will bring unity and will be our breakthrough through those barriers. If we want to move from self-centered to self-empty living, from others ignorant to others centered, then how do we live 
an other-centered life among believers. And I'm going to leave you with just three quick practical things, things that we can start doing today. Number one is to take a genuine interest in one another. Get to know each other. Church, let's get to know one another, even people among our family of God that are different than us. Go out of your way to know the people who are part of this community. Take them to coffee. Ask them their joys and their challenges. Learn from their strengths. As I wrote this, I remembered just several times over lunch, over coffee, just kind of opportunities I got to meet with somebody, and I remember God impressing on my heart to ask them, hey, what are, what are some joys that you're experiencing right now, and what are some challenges? Some challenges, and some of them were, are, uh, were immigrants to this country, and they, they shared with me these challenges that I never would have thought people go through. They shared with me their joys about the opportunity God's given them that I never would have thought from that perspective. Get to know one another. The next practical step is to serve together and to study God's Word together. I did a little two-in-one there. Serve and study God's Word together. Serving, we're working toward a common goal of bringing Jesus to our community at Horizon West, and that will orient you towards unity with the people that you're serving alongside. When you serve next to people, it brings unity among you. Also, you'd be surprised at the way that God speaks to you through someone else's application of God's word in their lives, the way that they see God's word, see a situation happening in their lives, and God speaks to them and says, you need to apply that there. We can learn from that. We need to wrestle with scripture together in ways that benefit us all. So joining a small group is a great way of doing this. The last practical step we can take to living an other-centered and self-emptied life is to serve one another. Actively seek out to discover the needs of other believers in the church. Go out of your way to help them directly, or you can connect them with somebody that you think could help. But God will use your service to strengthen the unity of his body. So my question for you today is this. Will you trust God with your life? Because I think that we can live you know, in the wisdom of, of living in health, taking care of ourselves, taking care of our bodies, and live in such a way that trusts God's provision for you so that you can empty out all that he gives you in service of others. Will you trust God with your life? Will you say, this is a moment in which I commit to live a life that's poured out for the sake of others? Church, if we can do that together, if we can do this united, we will be an unstoppable force that shows the love of Jesus to the world in an irresistible way. I truly believe that. And I believe that we're going to hear Jesus say, by this, by this, all people now know that you are my disciples. Let's pray together. Father, our prayer and our desire, our goal is that you would make us one. Give us the ability, God, to live self-emptied lives that esteem our brothers and sisters, that look out for their interests as your word calls us to do. God, help us to embrace the God-given worth and uniqueness of each person. Help us to live with other believers in mutual dependence and submission. Help us to practice solidarity, standing with others in their joy and in their pain. Jesus, as we live with this mindset that you've modeled for us, we pray that you'd be praised, that you'd draw people to you as they see the unity 
and love of your church. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.